Today, we're going to be talking about a very important topic when it comes to relationships, both romantically, interpersonally, and in family units. We're going to be talking about ultimatums and boundaries. There will be excerpts today from my book, To Those Left Behind. You'll find this in the chapter called In Three Quarters, It Matters. So let's move into an explanation, a short one, between ultimatums and boundaries. Ultimatums are made in times of high emotion. These are things that we say in the middle of an argument to shake the other person awake or try to get their attention. Sometimes these are made out of frustration, and sometimes they're made out of desperation. On the other end, we have boundaries. Boundaries are made in times of calm and consideration, and we have ways to back them up and we've thought them through. So let's explore these a little more and when we often use them. Starting with ultimatums, they tend to come in one of two places. Ultimatums either come in any kind of relationship when we're in a time of frustration, either within or without it, or they come out of a time when we just can't do anything else anymore. It's important to know the difference between ultimatums and boundaries, particularly when it comes to ourselves. Why are we making an ultimatum? Why are we making this effort to shake the other person and try to get their attention? Is there a reason why we won't have conversations in the calm? Is there a reason why we feel like we can only make these bids for connection in the midst of an argument? Is that the only time we feel heard? Ultimatums are often used as the only way to ask for change in highly conflicted couples. I see this all the time when couples will come into therapy and say things like, I can't believe what he or she said in the middle of this. And as a therapist, I know to look past just the words that are spoken and pay attention to what someone's really looking for. Then again, I'm a therapist. It's my job to read between the lines. Couples don't often do that, even in the calm. And so we take these things literally. Clients will come in and say, well, you told me that if I did this thing again, you would leave and you didn't. In the times when people do calm down from ultimatums, they feel as if they misspoke or overstepped. So let me give you some examples of ultimatums and give you some details and how you would know if you've given an ultimatum or if you've heard one from someone else. Ultimatums in really significant problems in relationships can look like, if you drink again, I'm taking the kids. If you cheat on me, I'm walking out the door. If you pick up that phone, we're going to have to talk. Some of these sound easier than the others. Some of these seem rather drastic. Remember that ultimatums aren't always logical. 
There are things that we say to try to get the other person's attention, whether or not we're going to follow through. And that's one of the biggest descriptors or the most common descriptors of ultimatums are things that we say that we don't have the gumption to follow through on. Ultimatums are also things that we wish we could say, but we can't guarantee that we'll back up. Things like, you know, if you drink, I'm leaving you. Maybe that's something we wish we could say, but it's not actually something we mean that we could follow through on and get support for. Other things like, if you raise your voice at me, I'm running. Maybe we wish we could, but we can't. And so we use ultimatums, these threats in times of high emotion, to try to get the other person to listen to us, even if we don't believe that we could follow through ourselves. One of the last great indicators of ultimatums is this desire to shake someone awake. Sometimes ultimatums are made out of our own needs, things that we feel like we may or may not be able to say. Other times ultimatums are made out of desperation for another person. Let's say someone's mental health is spiraling and family members are unsure what to do. Sometimes they can say things like, take your medication or I'm not paying for this anymore. Or if you're not going to therapy, you can't see your niece and nephew. Now, those may very well be important and useful things. Those might be incredibly impactful and encourage someone to change. But if we're not willing to follow through on them, they don't mean all that much except to try to shake someone using shame. Let's move over to boundaries for a minute. Boundaries are different from ultimatums in a few key ways. The first thing is that they're made in calm. What I mean by that is they aren't necessarily made when everyone is completely silent and the world is serene. But they are made and they're spoken when everyone in the room is rather still. These can be matter-of-fact ideas. Boundaries are also made in conjunction with other people. What do I mean by that is not that there's a group effort to try to change someone, but for whatever consequence we make up, we have someone who will support us and take us. Let's go to one of the things that I said before. If you drink again, I'm leaving. That's an ultimatum because there's no plan other than what sounds right to say at the time. A boundary, on the other hand, is if you drink again, I'm taking the kids and I'm moving in with my mother. See, the difference between those two is one was an effort to try to get someone to change. The second one is a plan that's followed through. Boundaries are also incredibly different from ultimatums and that they are things that we've made peace about before a discussion or an argument even comes about. Boundaries are discussed with people outside of that relationship, something that we've gotten closure on or maybe even prayed or meditated on. 
but they are things that we have agreed to and accepted the consequences outside of the relationship of someone. So, for example, let's go back to the, if you drink, I'm moving in with my mother. In order for that to be a boundary and not just an empty threat, that person would have had to actually spoken with their mother and they would have to be okay with the consequences that follow. They don't necessarily have to grieve those consequences. They don't have to be able to resolve them, but they have to be able to accept that they're a possibility and follow through anyway. Whether those consequences are small or large, whether they're things that could be life-threatening or just rather normal, it doesn't make a difference. Boundaries are made in calm, they are backed by other people, and they are things that we've already made peace about before we engage in conversation with the person we need to create space from. Here's something that's important about boundaries. We all have them. Whether that's with friends or family members, people we meet in the general public. As a therapist, I have boundaries with clients. I'll give you some of the basic ones and then some of the more complex ones. A very baseline boundary that I have in therapy is clients aren't allowed to punch me. If they do punch me, they are discharged from therapy and I will file charges. Does that mean I've spoken to a lawyer? No, but I know the law and I'm absolutely willing to follow through on it. Now, I decided that outside of some kind of physical assault, but it's important that I thought of it ahead of time. We can't obviously think through every situation, but this is an example of a boundary that's a reasonable expectation. Another one is in public. I don't want people to stand too close to me. I think it's uncomfortable. So my boundary is if someone is too close in my personal space, I'll either ask them to step back or I will step back. It's not as drastic as threatening to move into my mother's house, but you get the idea. These boundaries are things that hopefully we all have. They are ways that we navigate our world and create useful and safe distances from other people. We can even use boundaries with ourselves. If there was a behavior or a thought that is troubling us, we can decide to follow through on something else. For example, if I have a client who has issues with compulsive eating, one of the things they can do is identify when those thoughts pop up and create a set list of things they can engage in to help distract that thought or move them somewhere else. They have boundaries with themselves and their own mental health. We should even have boundaries with people we deeply care for. It might sound a little odd at first, but spouses should have boundaries with one another. Parents should have boundaries with their children. Children should have boundaries with their parents. And what is safe and reasonable expectation? Again, we can't plan for every single thing that happens, but we can have a reasonable assumption of what to expect. So let's talk about boundaries and what exactly they are. 
again, you'll find more in my book to those left behind where I go through all of the specifics of what a boundary is and how it's useful. But I'll give you some basics here. This way you can create boundaries with anyone that you have relationship with. Sometimes these are things that you will think of yourself, and sometimes these are things that you have to speak out to that other person. So imagine that there is a fence in front of you. This is our boundary fence. For anyone who has built a fence or has generally seen one, there are three things that are important. There are the posts in the ground, the boards that connect those posts, and a warning sign that tells you what will happen if you pass by the boundary that's in place. So let me give you ideas of what each of these mean. These posts represent our beliefs, our sense of faith, and what we want for our lives in the world around us. Some examples of this are, I want to be a productive member of society, or my faith is important to me. I want to be a good mother or a good father. I want to be able to say that I have integrity. They could also be things like, I'm working on myself and my mental health. In five years, I want to accomplish this. These posts are important because they set the stage for everything else about boundaries. If you are unaware what your core beliefs, expectations, or needs are, it's going to be hard to build anything else around a boundary. Let's move to the boards, and I'll give you some examples. Connected to those posts that are hopefully firmly planted in the ground, these boards are the expectations that we have. Now, they are intimately connected to these posts, one, for structural integrity, but two, an explanation for why we have these posts in the ground. So, let's use the I want to be a productive member of society. One of those boards is I'm going to reasonably follow the law or I want to be able to give back and volunteer. Another example of a post in the ground is, I want to be a good parent, a loving parent. And so some of those boards can be, I'm going to set limits on how much I work. I'm going to make sure I intentionally spend time at home with my children. I'm going to dedicate once a week to spend time with each of my children and see how they're doing. You can have all kinds of boards. Sometimes they're more explicit. Sometimes they're more general. But these boards are the way that we define how our beliefs, how our core needs are expressed. Finally, we have the warning sign. Now, I'm from the South, and our warning signs are a little bit Maybe not graphic is the right word. They're just very honest. So a warning sign for boundaries is 
if this happens, then I will. Now, that could seem like a threat, but it's not. It's a reasonable response to that boundary getting crossed. Give you an example of this. Let's go back to the parenting post on which the boards are built that I will have healthy boundaries with work and be home at a reasonable time every day. The warning sign for that could say, if my work is pushing too far, I will speak with a boss or a supervisor, or I will consider a different job. That is not a threat based on the board, but the post. And if your posts are firmly planted in the ground, then a warning sign is a result of that. Let's go all the way back to one of the ultimatums that I made earlier. If you drink, I'm leaving you. We changed that into our boundary of, if you leave, I'm going to take the children and move into my mother's house. We could take that one step further with our fence analogy. Because I want to be a loving mother. Because I see myself as someone who is raising healthy children and wants to do everything they can, I will keep them from seeing unhealthy behavior repeated by their father, especially that without explanation. If I do see you violate this expectation, if I see you drunk at home around the children, I will be taking them and moving into my mother's house. Here's the thing. We're not always that wordy. Boundaries aren't always that wordy. But it's important to know exactly why someone would have the warning sign up there. Is it because of the boards? No. It's because of the posts. These warning signs that we put up to everyone around us is not based on the actions. It's based on our inner beliefs and our inner values. You could use this for all kinds of things. I use it all the time, even in something as simple as, let's say, a drive through I want to be a loving person to the world around me, and I want to engage in healthy relationships as much as I can. So when I go through a drive through I want to be kind and considerate and try to be as open as possible. If someone decides to be rude, whether that's one of the workers or someone else in line, I will quickly shut up, get my food, and leave. Congratulations, that's a boundary, everybody. I, look, I know it sounds a little dumb, but that's exactly what a boundary is. You can have boundaries like that with anyone, anything, anywhere. There's something important to mention about some of these more significant boundaries. Much different than a drive through comes harmful or tense family or romantic relationships. Sometimes these boundaries are built, the warning sign is up, and someone still threatens it. 
Maybe you have created a boundary and given explicit detail on what you expect and what you're not willing to tolerate. What happens if someone crosses it and you follow through? Whose fault is that? Is it yours for having a reasonable expectation? Or is it theirs for crossing it? Here's the thing. We all have boundaries, including the people that might be upsetting you. If two people have boundaries that conflict, those people have to decide how much they're willing to engage in relationship. This isn't a bargaining trick. If someone's using boundaries threateningly, that's an ultimatum. It's not a boundary because you're trying to shake the person and change their behavior. But what if you have boundaries that you've created with someone in your life who keeps pushing them? I hope your fence is sturdy. But if someone keeps pushing, you can create more boundaries. You can create stricter warning signs and move that fence further and further out. I'll give you an explanation. When I'm in therapy with a couple, and let's say there's been a case of infidelity, one of the boundaries that we start with is don't go out alone with someone of the opposite sex or the same sex, if that was the concern. If they do, the grieved or the affected partner gets to decide how they're going to handle the situation. But let's say it was small, right? Maybe they saw someone they knew and briefly spoke to them. Does that count as a violation of a boundary? Maybe, maybe not. Let's say this couple has been coming to therapy for six months and the boundaries have softened and there's less expectation of specific behavior. That couple that can then shift from don't be alone with someone of the opposite or same sex, depending on the situation, and don't spend an extended period of time with them. Let's say it's a specific person that there was an affair with. And let's say they've been disconnected for six months. The first time that this person crosses this boundary and contacts their affair partner, the boundary might be that they come to therapy immediately. But let's say they do it again. Is that boundary going to stay the same? Maybe that fence can get moved farther back. Well, you spoke to them once. We had to come to therapy. If you do it again, we have to decide if separation is in order. You see, these boundaries can move for anyone. It can sound rather harsh to have each person dictate boundaries, but it's quite honestly how we live. I hope that you take this understanding of boundaries and evaluate them in your own life. What are your beliefs? What are your reasonable expectations? When you have relationship with someone, are these things spoken out loud to the other person? Sometimes it's necessary, sometimes it's not. But if you are unaware of what your boundaries are, 
it's likely that other people will pass on through with no consequence. I would encourage you to sit down and think about what it is that you believe and what it is that you want for yourself. Place those posts in the ground. Think about what you expect from other people, whether that's in general or an intimate relationship, and the warning signs that you're willing to live up to and follow through on. That way, everyone around you can know who you are. And those intimately involved with you can have open dialogue because they know where the fences are and they're free to roam around anywhere outside of that. Thank you for listening today. I hope that you got some information that was helpful to you and something that you can share with other people. If you feel the need, you can leave something in the tip jar. If not, I hope that you share this podcast with other people so that those that might not be able to afford therapy or are unsure can receive insight and support to help them grow their lives with other people. 